Good morning, church family. We're so glad you're here. As we honor our graduates and visitors, if you're here, we're glad you're here. And uh, I was thinking about if I've done this, I don't know, probably like eight times now, and what I could say to my t- 22 years ago, I graduated high school, and what I could think on, what would have been helpful for me. And I, God kind of laid this on my heart as one of our church members and I are studying through a book together, and it was talking about discipline of the mind, uh, so it kind of hit home, and today we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. You know, we know Philippians is a great book, and Paul here is about to end his letter to the church at Philippi, and I think there's some good things about what it looks like to think on it. So hopefully you have it. Here we go. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, it says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me. Dear God. I pray we speak your words clearly today. I pray for each and every one of these seniors, dear Jesus, and the life that you have for them. God, I pray as they leave these the walls here at Cordell and go out to college, God, you give them grace as they go. I give them a church family to get connected to there. And God, I'm so grateful to bring your word today. I pray we make much of it today. Hide me behind your cross. I pray also in your name. Amen. So I'm Nathan Price. I serve as uh, the family's pastor here at First Baptist Church of Cordell. And uh, for, for this introduction, I'm going to be reading from a book called Rick Bragg. I don't know if you guys have ever read Rick Bragg. Uh, he's a guy that writes in Southern culture. And this, this book, this story, I think, fits very well with what we're going to talk about here today. And this story is called The Fine Art of Piddling. The obituary made me spot, smile. Ellis Ray of Moundville passed away Saturday. He was a loving husband, father, and grandfather who loved to fish and piddle. He will be greatly missed. I mean no disrespect, quite the contrary. I smile because Ellis, whom I have never met, is my brother. Bound to me not by blood, but by shared habit. We are piddlers. Or we were. Now I'm left here, an earthbound piddler to piddle alone. So what is a piddler? It's It's hard to explain to begin with, because piddling is neither one thing nor another, but something in between. It's not rest, not something that can be done with your feet or an ottoman as you recline in a posturepedic. But neither is it work. Something that one toils at, sweats at, so, so, something one breaks from, or lunch or coffee, it's certainly not something for which one would ever be paid, and absolutely not something one does while watching the clock. The whole idea of piddling is to kill time, but without any great effort at all, or even really meaning to. If one piddles correctly, time just goes away without regret on the part of the piddler. Or any other particular notice. One does not march off to piddle, one meanders. And even when one heads off to do it, one may not go first to piddling right away because one might have a loafer <coughs> to a loafer a little first. But loafering is another story. A piddler does not fix a, weaky, a leaky washing machine or a slipping transmission or a hole in the roof. Such work is necessary, and the more necessary a labor is, the farther from piddling it becomes. A piddler may use tools, but only small, light ones, and only on things that are needed right then. 
Changing out a car battery in the dead of winter is not piddling because it is a necessity. But tinkering with a lawnmower in the middle of February is, especially if the grass is deader than Aunt Minnie's house cat and buried under a foot of snow. Doing a load of laundry, of course, is not piddling. Organizing one's sock drawer by color fiber is. Fishing is not piddling. That's why so many survivors made the distinction in this guy's obituary. But sharpening hooks and respooling lines, especially if the bass boat is covered in a sheet of ice. Going to a baseball game is not piddling. Retying your laces on your cleats is. Some people have to retire to piddle. Dr. Sloan, a venerated college professor who grew up across the hall from me, was the least piddling man I ever knew, but he fully in, in, tried to piddle. He rearranged books, sharpened knives, and changed knobs on dressers and cabinets. I rearranged pictures on the wall and rearranged them because my wife makes me. But my wife, she does not piddle. She reads, gardens, and makes use of her time wisely. When I try to interest her in my own piddling, she looks at me with disdain and does not have time to waste. Ellis Ray Mildville was 68 when he died. I bet he never wasted a second. So what's Rick trying to get out about piddling? You guys have probably been called, maybe heard of piddling, and I can attest that I am an expert piddler. So what does it look like to piddle? It looks like to waste time. Even though when you know the right route to do something, you waste time in getting there to do it. Right? And I think that is what Paul was trying to get out here. It's like, as Tozer puts it, A.W. Tozer says this, thinking is kind of living. To think and to be aware that what we think is to be conscious life without consciousness is but a shadow of life, having no meaning and being of no value to the individual. Our thoughts are the product of our thinking. And since these are such vast importance to us, it's imperative that we learn how to think rightly. I am not concerned here with that kind of profound celebration known as heavy thinking. Few of us have the intellectual equipment to enable us or the willpower to compel us to engage in such heroic mental exercise. I am dealing here with that kind of thinking done by every normal person, every waking moment from birth to death. So guys, as Dr. Muller puts it, Al Muller, he puts, if we don't think as Christians, it's impossible for us to live as Christians. What does that mean for us? That we pass down biblical understanding and fundamental truths of Christianity. We teach them to think like Christians, or guess what? They just won't. Right? Henry Ford said this, if you got an outline when you came in, it says it on the bottom. Thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably why so few engage in it. Rene Descartes, as some of you probably have heard, he had a, a term called carnito uger sum. What did it mean? It means I think, therefore I am. Right? We validate our existence by how we can produce thoughts. And Paul here wouldn't disagree with that. But I do think he would add to it. Right? He would add to it. Why? Because thought life is attached right here to right now life. Skip Hedzik says this, good thoughts bear good fruit. Bad thoughts bear bad fruit. And guess what? You are the gardener and the ones doing the planting. So if you look over the book of Philippians as a whole, it's definitely a joy-filled book as Paul writes it in, in prison, in chains, to the, right? To the church at Philippi. And I think if we study a little further into it, it's, it's, it's very much about motivation. Paul's very much a motivator in the way he writes his letters to the churches. Right? And, and this is the same way. There was a study done uh, a few years ago by, where 15 college professors were given a challenge. And the challenge was to take all the great books written up to that time on the art of motivating and sum them up, have a short summary statement. And here's what they said. 
What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. So what does this mean? It means a group or a person to think long enough about something. It usually causes action or for them to do something, right? And that's what we find in these verses here. Thoughts and actions matter, and the Bible is consistent that we think about them. Think about those. I mean, think about how the book of Romans is written. We have 11 chapters of Paul exhorting, right, the Romans to give an example. And then in chapter 12, he does what? Here's, the, here's what you do because of these 11 chapters led up to it. Right? We have this doctrine and duty sort of thing to be a Christian. We're living and learning, right? We learn it and then we live it out. And I think these verses here, we can see these things. The first one on your outline there is think on it carefully. Think on it carefully. So look at verse 8. It actually means to meditate or ponder on these things. It's a better translation there in verse 8. Meditate and ponder on all these things. Right? And actually there's a Greek word here that Paul uses called logosomai, which sounds a lot like logic, doesn't it? It's the same kind of term. It means to reckon, count, compute, or take into action all these things to be true. Right? Because we've already said thinking is paramount. Remember the man Solomon one of the wisest men on all earth, right? He said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what about you? What, how do you think? What defines your, think, your thought life? and defines who you are? Are we carefully considering what we're thinking about? Because your lives are a product of people's thoughts. Okay? Lots of times today, today's world, we get thoughts and things from social media platforms, right? There's lots of stuff out there, right? And not all that stuff is bad, but if you take enough of the same stuff in, it kind of catechizes and changes your mindset, doesn't it? It absolutely does, right? Where do you get your information from? How do we know this? Mark 7, verses 20 through 23 tells us, you probably have heard these verses, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, and adultery. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Of course, this is a very negative aspect here, right? But people's doings are just how they think, right? And guys, how you're shaped, how you, your thought life goes about uh, matters. That's what Paul's trying to get at. Philippians, hold, hold tight to these things that are good, Right? Because you know God created us to think. Isaiah 1 tells us this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And so let's be honest. Sometimes we just don't think carefully. And my, my sons, you can tell them, the thing I'm trying to teach you to do is think. Right? I can teach you all the ways to do things, but I want you to think it out for your own. I think that matters more <laughs> in coming. I want them to learn how to think, to reason, to wrestle. Because sometimes we just need, need to veg out. I talked about this earlier. I like to veg out by spending time outdoors, right? In a deer stand, in the front of a boat. And every once in a while, I'm watching maybe a couple, too much of the office or parks and rec. That's my other ways I do it for me, right? But why do we need to do this, we think? Sometimes we need silence, right? Silence is not a bad thing. We get along. Jesus himself needed silence before he went to the cross to die for our sins, right? To think carefully about things, big moments in life. But honestly, I think most of us do this because we think we might be deeper in the way we think about things. 
maybe you are deeper in the way you're thinking. And maybe, truly, what I've learned is lots of times when people say they're just deeper, they really haven't dug that deeper and they gain the knowledge and the truth that comes from the Scriptures. But somehow they have it all figured out. I just don't understand how that works, but I've seen that, right? You want to dive deeper, you just don't go deep enough. Well, A.W. Tozer has a famous poem talking about the tragedy of a wasted religious activity. He says this, Aimless activity is beneath the worth and dignity of a human being. Activity that does not result in progress towards a goal is wasted. Yet most Christians have no clear end toward what they are striving. The endless religious merry-go-round, they continue to waste time and energy, of which God knows they never had much, they never had much and have even less each hour. This is a tragedy worth, worthy of the mind of, of a Dante. So we think on it carefully. Why? Because it matters how we think, right? Carefully go about things. Carefully go about your daily life, right? The next one there. We think on it righteously. Think on it righteously. How do we know this? He tells us here how to think about here, right? What's he say there? Look at the second part of verse 8. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you know how many thoughts you have a day? There was a study done, and it said that you have 70,000 thoughts a day. Normal person does. You know how many that is in a year? That's 25 million. So of those 25 million, you think we should rein some of those in? <laughs> to think we're more righteous than we should? Absolutely we should, right? And luckily for us, the Bible gives us parameters here. And Paul writes some of these. And in this book, and also different books throughout the Scriptures. Because 2 Corinthians in chapter 10 gets to the notion that we should take every captive every single thought we have to make it obedient to God and His design for our lives. Or you can look at Romans 8. It just continues to talk about what we should do, right, in light of who God is, right? All these things he thinks us to act on are righteous things. And guess what? If you're thinking on righteous things, it's going to be good things for you, and it's also going to honor the Lord, right? Absolutely it is. So what should we do? We should be diligent about what we see, what we hear, and what we allow in our mind. And this is something I've talked about with my students many times, and you guys have heard me talk about it. It's been 22 years since I graduated high school. And what the socials, the, the way I got information then and the way I got information now is light years in 22 years. And I can imagine in the next 20 years it's going to be even more, right? So what you're taking in, what, where they gain information is a different platform than it used to be, right? You used to have manuals that you went to. Now you just go to YouTube to find out to do anything, right? Like truly, you can Google it and find it, right? You can just go do it, right? But you need to be aware of the things you take into your mind is what fuels your mind, right? With things you take in your mind is what fuels your mind. There's a great book I talked to my students about. It. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. It's written by Brett McCracken. I recommend it for anyone. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. You should read that book uh, just to see, show you how some of these things are happening. We, we don't even understand it or realize it, right? So we should think about, you know, things like this. Paul just didn't come up with these truths, right? All these are all throughout the Bible, right? Whatever things are true, Right? God of all truth. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? And our God specializes in the truth. The absolute truth. Right? We have it right here written down for us in these books. Right? And we live in a world where people say there is not empirical truth. 
you graduates, when you go to college, you'll probably be challenged on some of this very concept. Because while there is no absolute truth of what the world says, it's just all relative, right? And now it's even, even different where truth really doesn't matter, I don't think, as much. I mean, look at what people were sharing on Facebook without even trying to determine whether it's true or not. Why? Because feelings have triumphed truth, right? How you feel and how outraged you are about something means it's your truth, right? Whether it's true or not, it does not matter because how does it make you feel, right? Because that's what matters now, and we all can fall victim of this. But that still doesn't make it truth or honorable to who God is or what he has for your life. Or we have heard the old notion, just follow your heart. And it sounds noble, but this vice is lacking because the Bible tells us their heart's deceitful among everything else and desperately wicked. So even now, if you follow your heart and things seem great right now, uh, down the road, it will not fulfill you. You'll have to look for something else to fulfill your heart again. So back to the text there. What? Honorable things. What are honorable things? Things that are worthy of honor, right? Worthy of respect. Thinking, thinking of things that would honor your people around you, how you could serve people around you, right? Thinking about just things. Scripture tells us and gives us principles. Psalm 119 tells us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's how you stay on the path, right? Pure things, lovely things, commendable things. Things that are wholesome, morally pure. David even says, how does a young man keep his word? Keep, keep his word by keep staying in God's word, right? John Bunyan said about the Bible, this book will either keep you, keep you from sin or your sin will keep you from this book. You need to be aware of this. You need to be able to repent, right? And did you know that the average person experiences 5,000 ads a day, whether through TV, social media, podcasts, and yes, even radio? What do these ads do? If you're doing it on your computer, you guys know this. These ads know your interest, know what you like, and it's geared to reach you, right? And usually what happens, they drive you to think about how much you need something, right? And they drive you to think that you actually need it more than anything. But eventually what happens? You usually buy it, right? You give into it. Why? Because we have to be careful. It's the same thing with life and how we our thought life. We need to be careful about what we think, but also use your righteous thinking as well. Be careful. The last one there. Think of it actively. Look at verse 9. Think of it actively. Because Paul gives us something. What do we do with this? Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul gives us these things, the how to think, and then he gives us a way to practice these things, right? The God of peace will be with you. But I want you, if you have a Bible there, I want you to look up at verse 7. Go back up with me in Philippians 4, look at verse 7. What does it say there? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God is already working <laughs> in your heart and in your mind, right? Because he saved you from your sins. And now... He's given us a list of attributes we should lead to these deeds here, right? So we must do something with all these things we've thought of, right? We must do something with it. Because again, <clears throat> like, like Jack and Ethan and Wade all played baseball. They've been playing baseball together for a long time, I'm sure. And they train up and you get trained up to go play and you do all this work from grounders to infield practice to catching practice, right? You get all these things, you get trained up and then if you didn't play a game, 
what would be the purpose of training, right? It didn't have a finished thing to, to get to the end, right? You have to do these things. You train yourselves. It's the same way here. You, you train yourself to be active when the situation happens, you can act on it, right? It's the same thing here when it comes with the gospel. Because remember, Paul's probably in jail writing these things, right? But what we ponder is what we practice. And what we learn is what we want to live. And as a pastor here and here right now, for me, if we preach you the truth of Scripture, I pray that enough people will come to believe it, and by believing it, they will live it, which causes them to do something for it. Uh, just in a few weeks, we have a, a big group going to Bolivia to take the gospel to a place that the gospel has not been going. Right? That's an active way to do that. we got Connect Camp coming up. you got to volunteer for that? It's a great thing here actively in our cordial community to volunteer for. Right? Some other things we got coming up. we got Vacation Bible School coming up this summer. Right? You can volunteer to do that. It'll be active in what we preach and what we're taking to the nations, right? Because here's the thing, guys. I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus. I heard about the Trinity, the virgin birth, and all the Bible stories. But it truly didn't matter until I went to Memphis, Tennessee on a mission trip and got to serve someone and lead someone to Christ. It all made sense at that moment. That active obedience to who God is in response to who I am and watch Him do something through me that I couldn't do on my own. I needed to repent, which I recently did, because I thought actively about the grace offered and what gave through my devotion to King Jesus. If you haven't done that, I urge you to do that today. I invite you to do that today. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ and His promises for your life. It's so much better than anything else. If you hear truth, which we hear, especially in these walls, and you do not come, it doesn't do something to you, you don't come to practice that truth. Something happens. I think your heart becomes calloused and not letting the Spirit speak to your own heart. And maybe you actually quench the Holy Spirit in your own life by persisting in unrepentant sin. So what happens? You come every week. And all your heart does is make itself harder to the gospel. And it's, it's just not healthy for who you are and who you are in Christ or the churches either. That the truth has not caused action or any change for that matter. You have all these promises of God and we're just leaving them there. This is why James talks about throughout his book, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Why? Because you deceive yourself if you do that. And talk about the promise keeps. Some of you guys have probably heard of William Penn. William Penn was the founder of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And way back when, he was negotiating with the Delaware Indians right there beside him for land. He was going to make an exchange for it. And they agreed to let Penn have whatever land he, would, he could walk around in 24 hours. He could circumvent, walk a trail around. So, guess what? William Penn at daybreak set one of his young men out to walk with a map as far as he could all the way around. And by doing so, he circumnavigated 40 miles. So, what does Penn do? He goes back to the chief of the Delaware Indians who was shocked that someone actually did that. But the chief had did what? He never expected anyone to do that. But the chief kept his promise. And that promise was the 40 miles, right? And he gave him that land, and that land labor home, the, what we call Philadelphia. That's where it's at. So Penn listened to this promise, and he did what? He acted on it. But let me ask you guys. In this book right here, how many promises of God are for us? Numerous, right? 
and if, they, if we don't read them and think through them and do something about them, they stay right here. That's not what God is for us. He wants us to be active, right? He wants us to gain knowledge of who He is and take the gospel to the nations. And guys, when people get a glimpse of the gospel and you believe and you actually live it out, folks, it just it fuels the mission, right? So how are we doing with this? Who can tell what you think about by how you actively live? Because you're a living testimony to what you believe by how you live. Who can tell what your mastery is by the life you live? And here's what I'll say. There is nothing more worthy of you than life lived for gospel purposes. Why? Because it will never fail. Even when the fleeting things of life pass away, it will still be there. Jesus will still be king, and hopefully you have helped others see how to get to that king and be ushered into the kingdom of God. So let's look at the second part of verse 9 there. The God of peace will be with you. Right? The God of peace. So if you, Skip Hezek says, if you, if you think godly thoughts and live godly lives, you feel God's peace. And as Christians, we know this. We know this. We can think on this, but we have to live it as well. That means no matter what comes your way, if you're truly in Christ, by God's grace, you can overcome it. Triumph, tragedy. Right? So what should we do? We should evaluate our content. We should watch and meditate on it. What we do, what we say, it matters. The Nielsen Company says the average American watches four hours of TV a day. We, feel, we, feel, we feed our minds with whatever we watch on television. Our kids will see 12,000 sexual references each year. But how many of those references do you think are really based on truth found in Scripture? Maybe what, two or three? Here's the thing, guys. We expose ourselves and our kids to things that aren't going to build them up or make them good followers of Christ. You have to be humble enough to admit that. So how do we do it? How do we fix it? I think we punctuate the day. This is what Skip Hesick says. I think it's great. You punctuate the day. How do you do that? By starting the day with truth. Get a little devotion. There's lots of devotions out there that are, are really good. If you have any questions about them, one that I use a lot is my utmost from my highest. It gives a little passage of Scripture, and it gives uh, some generalities of it. Each day you can just open up and read it. And it even has a version where you can get one in the morning and one in the evening. So you read some scripture in the morning, you also should read some scripture in the evening before you lie down. So you start the day with truth and you end the day with truth. Why? Because it pushes you to who God is, right? So we get this truth, what should we do with it? We should meditate on it, right? Biblical meditation means you engage the mind and feed on the Word of God. As Eugene Pearson puts it, you eat this book. You eat this book and it consumes you. It fuels how you react to those around you. So what does all this mean for us? I think it means this. Peter talks about it in the, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, I can tell you, as a pastor of the gospel and a pastor, that last verse there gets me everything. That's what I want for you. 
that keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful at the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll close with this story I've heard. It says this. Some of you might have heard this as well. There was a woman who was married for almost 40 years and never was able to have any children. And her husband died unexpectedly. And she was grieving. and She was just lonely. And she met with some friends one day. And one of her friends owned a pet store. He said, maybe you should get a pet to help fill that void. She said, that might be okay. So she looked at all the animals, the cats, the dogs, the fish, and the snakes. And they just wasn't for her. But she, she kept telling him, I want something to actually talk to. Well, we have this parrot here that talks to everyone. She said, I'll take the parrot. So she bought it. She took the parrot home. And a week later, she came back to the owner. He said, the parrot's just talking your ears off, right? He said, no. The parrot actually hasn't said a word. It's not spoke a word to me. I've talked to it all the time. So the pet store owner says, well, buy this mirror and put it in the cage. And the parrots like mirrors. It makes them think there's another one there. Uh, it makes them more comfortable. He'll be able to talk then. So she bought the mirror and she put it in the cage. And we went by, and the lady went back to the pet store, and the pet store owner was engaging in her like the parrot just loved the mirror, right? He's just talking all the time. She said, no, not a single word the parrot has spoken. And I've talked to it so much and nothing in return. He said, well, maybe you need this ladder for the parrot to climb up and down and feel comfortable and get some exercise in his cage, and then he'll talk. So she bought the ladder, and she still had the mirror, and she put the ladder in the cage, and she came back the next week. And the pet owner said, how much more comfortable is the parrot? How many things has he talked to you about? He's not spoken a word, the parrot, and she's getting mad. Not said a word. Well, he says, I have one more solution. He's kind of dumbfounded now. The parrots also like having swings in their cages. Maybe he just needs a swing, and that will loosen him up, and he will talk. So guess what? She bought the swing, right? She put it in the cage. And she came back a couple of weeks later to the store mad. And Storm said, how much was the parrot talking now? She says, it's not talking at all. The parrot is dead. Dead, he said. Did he ever say anything? She said as he was laying on the bottom of his cage, doesn't that pet store sell food? So that's like a lot of us here. We, what do we do? We focus on things that are not important. We fuel our lives with things that bring glory to who we are, Right? But we're starving to death for truth that builds up and will transform us. And we're put around people that, guess what? They need that truth as well. So what do we do? We think on things that fill your mind on the correct way. Why? Because it matters for who you are in Christ. And it matters for who you point others to Him. Guys, this is truly a matter of life and death.